Well, our text for this evening is Romans chapter 9, verse 25. If you are using one of the Bibles provided in the pews, you should be able to find Romans 9 on page 945. Our text is Romans 9, verse 25, but to get a sense of the context, in just a moment, uh, we're going to read from verse 19 on through verse 26. But before we do, I want to summarize what Paul has said so far in this chapter, leading up to verse 19. Paul opens Romans 9 with his great sorrow and unceasing anguish that his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews, have not come to faith in Christ. The Jewish people, Paul explains, seem to have had so much going for them. To them belong the old covenants, the giving of the Mosaic law, the patriarchs, and from their race came the Christ, the promised Messiah. And yet his Jewish kinsmen remain unsaved. Has God's plan failed? Paul explains that God's plan has not failed. To the contrary, God's plan, Paul says, has always been to save true Israel, the children of Abraham, not according to the flesh, but according to the promise. And those children of the promise did not earn that status. God chooses whom to save, apart from works, and he has not chosen to save all of physical Israel. Paul then turns to potential objections to God's sovereign choice. Is God unjust in choosing whom he will save? By no means. It is up to God, Paul explains, to show his mercy or to withhold it from whom he will. And so we will go ahead and pick up the text in verse 19, where Paul continues his response, and we will read through verse 26. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Well, in verse 25, our text for this evening, Paul quotes from Hosea chapter 2. And I would like us to consider the significance of that quotation, both on its own and as it relates to Paul's other points in the chapter. We will do that under two headings, promises for the Gentiles and election for the Gentiles, or perhaps for simplicity, promises and election. First, let's consider Paul's quotation from Hosea 2 on its own under the heading of promises for the Gentiles. Take a look again with me at verse 25. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. As we've been learning this morning and last week, Hosea was a prophet called by the Lord to speak on his behalf to the northern kingdom of Israel shortly before that kingdom would fall to the Assyrians in 722 BC. The people of the northern kingdom were enjoying a period of peace and prosperity, but also of decadence and depravity. And through Hosea, the Lord announced the coming judgment on his people for their wickedness, 
The Lord even had Hosea serve as an example to the people by commanding Hosea to take a wife who would be unfaithful to him and to give his children names of condemnation, names that included no mercy and not my people. But with Hosea's warning of judgment, the Lord also sent hope in the form of a promise. Through Hosea, the Lord spoke of a day when he would rescue Israel and speak tenderly to her. He would make a covenant with Israel. And in the passage that Paul quotes here, Hosea 2, verse 23, the Lord states that he will have mercy on no mercy. And he will say to not my people, you are my people. And as we've also learned over the past weeks, Christ is the one who would accomplish these things by inaugurating a new and better covenant, securing the blessings of eternal life for his people. Well, in our passage in Romans 9, Paul goes even further in interpreting Hosea's prophecies in light of Christ and the new covenant. Not only are the promises of redemption in Hosea 2 fulfilled in Christ, but those promises always included the redemption of the Gentiles as well. We might ask at this point, how can Paul interpret Hosea's message, which in its original context was given to the Jews in the Northern Kingdom, to be a promise about the Gentiles as well? One answer is that Paul had apostolic authority and what he wrote in Romans is divinely inspired. That is true. But Paul is also not interpreting Hosea in isolation here. God had provided glimmers of his full redemptive plan throughout the Old Testament, including the notion that the blessings intended for Israel would also benefit other nations. In Genesis chapter 22, the Lord promised to Abraham that through Abraham's offspring, which Paul explains in Galatians chapter 3 means Christ, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. In the same way, the prophet Isaiah foretold that the servant of the Lord would be a light for the nations, so that the Lord's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Paul summarizes this situation in Ephesians 3, where he says that the salvation of the Gentiles was a mystery, not made fully known to prior generations, but one that was now revealed to Christ's apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul stands on firm, apostolic, and scriptural ground in applying the promises of Hosea 2 to the Gentiles. Now, if you would, for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of Paul's audience. It would not come as a surprise to many Gentiles in the Church of Rome that Gentiles were members of Christ's new covenant. If Paul simply had wanted to make the point that both Jews and Gentiles were among the elect, it would not have been necessary to use Hosea to do it. But by placing the Gentiles within the scope of Hosea's prophecy, Paul communicates that God has had an unwavering plan throughout redemptive history and that the old promises belong to the Gentile believers too. In other words, because Hosea's promise was also about Gentile believers, the redemptive promises of the Old Testament are also for Gentile believers. Much like Paul, we, as a local church in the 21st century, need to keep God's unified plan of salvation in mind whenever we read the Old Testament. Even though our local body is made up predominantly of Gentiles, we should not hesitate to lay claim to the promises of redemption found in the Old Testament. Nor should we discount the Old Testament's relevance to us as members of the church age. The Old Testament promises of redemption, after all, point to our Savior. John Piper once put it this way when reflecting on Paul's inclusion of the Gentiles within Hosea's promise. Say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Don't squander your inheritance. It is full of treasures. 
How many times I have been rescued from sin and despair by the promises of God in the Old Testament, bought for me by the blood of Jesus. May we be quick to find the comfort and hope of our Savior in all of God's word. Now that we have considered verse 25 on its own, let us now turn to how the salvation of Gentiles fits in to Paul's points about election in the rest of Romans 9. We'll consider that under the heading, Election for the Gentiles. Recall again that Paul opened this chapter by detailing his anguish that his Jewish kinsmen are not saved. He says in striking language that he could even wish that he himself were cut off from Christ for their sake. And the fact of Jewish unbelief leads Paul to raise two questions. Questions he then spends the rest of the chapter answering. First, has God's plan failed? And second, if things are going according to God's plan, is God's choice not to save some unjust? The fact that Gentiles are among the elect helps to answer both of those questions. As for the first question, Jewish unbelief does not mean that God's plan has failed because it was always God's plan to save Gentiles too. Paul explains in verses 6 and 7 of Romans chapter 9 that not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. In other words, not all members of the physical nation of Israel are in fact members of true Israel. In Galatians 3, Paul explains that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. But the fact that God has chosen to save Gentiles too means that even though true Israel is narrower than physical Israel in one sense, it is broader than physical Israel in another. In short, God's plan has not failed. He is drawing to himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then second, on the question of whether God is unfair by choosing not to save some, the election of the Gentiles shows that the answer to that question is a resounding no. Why? Because just like the sinful northern kingdom in Hosea, apart from God's mercy, we are all those who are not my people. As Paul puts it in verse 21, we are all made from the same sinful lump, and it is nothing short of mercy when God chooses to save some. Notice how Paul's use of Hosea in verse 25 echoes that same logic. What is the state of both Jews and Gentiles before God rescues them? Not my people. Not beloved. Therefore, God's sovereign choice is not unjust, because as Paul says in verse 16, our salvation, whether Jew or Gentile, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. What does all of that teach us today? What does God's unified plan to redeem not only a remnant of Israel, but also to graft in Gentiles, what does that mean for us as 21st century believers? A number of things. First, it should strengthen our assurance of salvation to see that God's plan of redemption has been consistent throughout history. It was always God's plan to redeem Gentiles too. Again, the Lord promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 22 that in Abraham's offspring, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Christian, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, know that your salvation was not an afterthought to God. And because God's plan of redemption has been consistent, hold fast to the promise from Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The Lord will not let you go. Second, God's unified plan of redemption should spur us to greater humility. All Christians 
all of us were at one point not my people, both Jew and Gentile. And those of us who are Gentile believers especially have nothing of our own to boast about. We were not the ethnic people given the Mosaic law and the patriarchs, but God has nonetheless adopted us. He has called us beloved, and he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christians ought to be a humble people. May God's unified plan of redemption cause us to flee from sinful pride. God's plan of redemption should also spur us to greater evangelism. I wonder if there are people in our own lives for whom we are tempted to think, well, they are too far from the Lord to be saved, or their minds are too made up, or they are too mired in their sin. Some doubtless felt the same way about the prospect of Gentile believers to begin with. Christian, Paul has good news for us this evening. God has always been in the business of saving those who are not my people. And he does not do so based on works, our own or anyone else's. God's sovereignty should make us more eager to share our testimonies and more eager to invite others to our gatherings so that they might hear the gospel and repent. And friend, if you are here this evening and you are not one of God's people, young people, if you are not trusting in Christ, if you have not recognized your sin and placed your trust in Christ in his finished work on the cross, let me exhort you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. He is near this evening in his word. Our passage in Romans 9 tells the story of God calling unworthy people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. And it can yet be your story too. Acknowledge that you are a sinner, deserving of nothing but God's condemnation. Believe what Jesus Christ accomplished in his perfect life and his death on the cross. Take hold of him by faith, trusting in nothing other than his finished work for the forgiveness of your sins. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, Christ died for the unlovable people like you and me. May God cause all of us this evening to cling to Christ by faith.